And welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, men's and boys' issues. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and our guest today is Dr. Tim Sharp, a psychologist and the editor of the recent book, Transformation, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. Dr. Timothy Sharp has three degrees in psychology, including a PhD, and an impressive record as an academic clinician and coach. He is the founder and CHO, for those not familiar, that stands for Chief Happiness Officer, of the Happiness Institute, Australia's first and now largest organisation devoted solely to enhancing happiness in individuals, families and companies. Dr. Happy, welcome to the show. Hi there, thanks for having me. I hope I may now call you Tim. Yes, please do. Do you find that most people want to be happy? Oh, undoubtedly. I do a lot of public speaking and I often actually ask that question, how many of you would like to be happy or happier? And 99.9% um, of people put up their hand. So the simple answer is yes. I guess it gets a bit more complicated when you ask people to define happiness because although I think everyone does want to be happier, different people have different ideas about what that means. And there are flow-on benefits, I guess, as far as productivity and all, you know, all sorts of other areas, uh, family relations and every, every area you care to think, I guess. Oh, undoubtedly. And that's, uh, that's really what I spend most of my time talking about because although most people understand that happiness is nice, um, and as we just said, most people uh, want to have more of it, not everyone really understands how beneficial and how powerful it can be. Uh, again, we, we know by definition happiness feels nice, but a lot of people don't understand that it also... Uh, is highly correlated uh, with health, with well-being, with better quality relationships, better performance in the workplace, uh, a whole range of benefits and even longevity. Happier people actually live longer. So, you know, yes, it's, uh, it is a nice thing to feel, but it's also um, extremely important to live our best possible lives. And yet I suppose there are some people who just really want to sort of wallow in unhappiness. What do you say to them? Do you point out the benefits of turning it around? Look, I don't know if anyone really wants to wallow in happiness. I think some people uh, do find happiness a bit harder than others. So some people do tend more naturally to unhappiness, maybe. I guess we all have you know, a tendency or predisposition to certain things. But, uh, but you know, I guess there are some people who are less interested in it than others but for a variety of reasons. And yes, if they came to me, I would try to point out uh, the benefits of happiness. But, but I also know, um, you know, you can't please all the people all the time. Not everyone's going to agree with what I say. And, uh, you know, unless they really want to have more happiness, unless they really want to make changes, then, then that's fine. That's, um, uh, you know, that's not, uh, there's not much more I can do. Mm. And, you know, look, there, there are plenty of other people who do want more happiness, who do want uh, what I try to teach. And, and I guess I focus most of my time and energy on them. You just said then that uh, happiness is easier for some. Is, it, it, so what do you mean by that? Oh, well, look, I guess like a lot of things in life, we're born with natural genetic predisposition or a genetic makeup. Uh, makes it easier or harder for some of us to be certain things or do certain things. So some people, for example, are more naturally talented in, in the arts. Uh, you know, they're more musically able or they can, they're more creative. Some people are more naturally talented on the sporting field or, or in academic pursuits. And look, in the same way, some people are more naturally talented, for want of a better word, uh, in happiness. That they're born with a genetic makeup that uh, that allows for optimism and hope and good quality relationships, etc. 
However, for those people who are not necessarily as quote unquote naturally talented, uh, the good news is we can all learn to be better. We can we can learn certain skills and strategies that will improve our happiness, that will improve our life. Uh, and again, it might be a little bit harder for some, but it's still possible. Well, you reveal in your book uh, Transformations that you yourself haven't always been happy. And did you find that that being exposed to the inspirational stories, such, such as the 11 you've described in your book, does that help you get over those down points? Oh, very much so. Yeah, as you, as you hinted at, I've... Um, uh, well, I certainly have been happy a lot of my life, but I've also been uh, quite depressed for, for parts of my life. Um, it's a lot better now because I, I, I've learned. I mean, what I teach others is what I've learned and uh, what the science uh, has proven to be helpful, and I, I try to practice what I preach. So thankfully, my life's um, uh, you know, mostly quite good, but I, but I still have, like, like a lot of people, I guess, I still have some dark uh, periods um, when things uh, you know, seem a bit overwhelming, and and certainly as you've hinted at, one of the things that helps me is to uh, reflect back on some of those other stories, and that helps in a number of ways. One, it makes me realise I'm not alone; I'm not the only person. And sometimes when we get depressed, it, it does feel like that. I feel like it's just me. I'm the only person. I'm the only hopeless failure in this world. And clearly, that's uh, not the case. Um, but what it also does is make me realise, uh, or, or reminds me, I suppose, that that I can get through this. Many of those people have suffered far worse states than me have experienced you know, quite significant traumas or tragedies and, and I guess uh, this is one of the reasons for putting the book together. I thought you know, if people can read those stories and even if they just relate to one or two of them hopefully what they'll take away is something along the lines of well if they can get through that then maybe I can get through what I'm going through. Uh, because that sense of hope uh, and optimism that, that belief that things might get a bit better is vitally important for anyone that's going through a difficult time and uh, Again, I hope the book will, will give that hope to, to some people. One of the earliest people to let uh, let the world know about the the incidence of depression, I suppose, was Winston Churchill, and he nicknamed it the Black Dog. Mm. Uh, do you think there's more depression now than there was previously, or is it just that we're hearing more about it? Yeah, look, it's a good question um, and a tricky question to answer. Look, I, I suspect it's more of the latter. I think most people agree that it's probably, it's most likely because we're more aware of it, we're talking more about it, we're getting better at identifying it. Uh, you know, if you go back only a generation or two ago, uh, most GPs, for example, didn't really know that much about depression. Most doctors didn't really know much about it. Most people wouldn't talk about it, particularly men, for example. So, you know, my father's generation, my grandfather's generation, it just wasn't done to talk about depression or feeling or any sort of emotion. So the good news is, and I do think it's good news, we are talking about it more, we are uh, seeking help more often. Uh, the flip side of that is that it, it does look as though things are getting a lot worse. But, but I think a lot of that, you know, the statistics seem to suggest that there are increasing increases, but I think part of, at least part of that increasing rate is due to, uh, again, better better recognition, better awareness. So um, the good side of that is that hopefully more people are getting help. You point out in your book that most of the people that suffer from this don't actually do anything about it or get any sort of treatment or help. No, well, that's that's one of the sad facts, that um, you know, only about one in five people uh, seek help for their problems. And that is really sad. It's a pity because we've got... There are very effective treatments now. There are, you know, some medications help some people, psychological interventions help people, uh, exercise, meditation, mindfulness. You know, there are lots of things that can be very helpful, but... Yeah, as a professional, I can't help anyone if they don't come to me. So it is very sad, and, and that's why uh, you know I do what I can. And, and a lot of organisations, um, you know, like Beyond Blue and, and Black Dog, and 
uh, a number of great groups out there are doing what they can to break that stigma. And hopefully, as uh, as we do, and, and, and you're right, we, we're, we've made tremendous leaps and bounds over the last few years in, in terms of breaking that stigma. So hopefully more and more people are feeling more and more comfortable about talking to their doctors or their or their husbands and wives or friends or whoever it might be and um, and hopefully getting some help because, again, there is help available. Uh, there is hope available um, if you put up your hand and ask for it. And we're speaking with Dr. Tim Sharp, the editor of the new book, Transformation, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. We're going to take a short break now. This is a song by Harry Nielsen, and it's called Maybe. Maybe by Harry Nilsson. And we're speaking today with Dr. Tim Sharp, psychologist and the editor of a new book called Transformation Turning Tragedy into Triumph. 
which deals really with 11 very personal stories. There are some uh, amazing stories in there. Uh, I, I particularly like those where there's been a moment in time that divided their lives before and after. You actually say it's not enough to get back to where you were before. You actually want to go beyond that, don't you? Yeah, very much so. And, and if I could just make one point of clarification, um, not all of the stories are about depression. Um, not all of the people uh, experience depression. Some of them experienced other forms of psychopathology like post-traumatic stress disorder uh, or drug and alcohol problems or even um, you know, the loss of loved ones or, or physical illnesses like, like cancer. So um, I intentionally wanted to have a broad range of stories that different people could relate. But regardless of the trauma or tragedy or, or turning point, uh, this is, again, one of the messages I want to get across that, you know, yes, we can survive and, and many of us do survive, but all of these people in the book, uh, in different ways, went beyond that. They didn't just survive, they thrived. Uh, they didn't just bounce back, they bounced forward to a better place. And this is what, in psychology, we technically call a post-traumatic growth. This is when we actually grow and become better and become stronger or wiser after trauma, after uh, adversity. And uh, I guess, again, that's one of, you know, one of the important messages I want to get across is that difficult times are, by definition, difficult. Um, tragedy and trauma is obviously unpleasant. But if people can even, even just a tiny bit hold on to the belief or, or understand that maybe at some point in the future, it could be tomorrow or next month or next year, it could actually be several years away. But uh, for most of us, at some point in the future, we do learn from these difficult times and we can actually become better. So in, in a strange kind of way adversity can be a positive. At the end of each chapter, you include some observations, some tips and recommendations, and uh, I particularly like one where you say uh, that we shouldn't be saying, well, I'll be happy when such and such happens. It's better not to sort of link your happiness to some future event. You you really need, it needs to come from within. Yeah, definitely. This is a, so this is a phenomenon I, I, I titled the tyranny of when. Uh, I'll be happy when, uh, when I've got more money, when I've got a faster car and I've got a bigger house, a better job or I've lost weight or whatever it might be. And I think we've all, we've all fallen into that trap at some point or other. But, but it's a very dangerous trap to fall into because it means we're, um, we're constantly postponing happiness. We, ne- we never get there and that's obviously not a good thing. So what, what I encourage is, uh, is to put happiness first, first and foremost. Um, as long as we define happiness properly, and I don't just mean slapping on a fake smile or pretending to laugh. It's about genuinely finding what's good about our lives, genuinely making the most of our lives. And if we can do that here and now, today, then we've actually got a much better chance of achieving what we want to achieve tomorrow and next week. Um, So it's really about flipping that around and and using the power of positivity to make the most of things and and even to get through difficult times. How would you define it, uh, Tim, if I were to say I'm happy at the moment? What would you expect that to mean? Um, It's it's an interesting, it's a good question, an interesting question. Uh, What I I would preface it by saying that happiness means different things to different people. That might sound a bit obvious, but it is important to state that we're all different. I mean, you're a different person to me, different life, different context. Everyone is different. and Accordingly, their definition of happiness will be and and should be a bit different. Uh, That being said, there are certainly some common elements. So when we look at the happiest people in the world, when we study them as as psychologists have done, we we find a number of common elements, and they they include the following. So what I would expect to see in you or in a happy person is um, that you're living a life with meaning and purpose. You're you're engaging in purposeful work, something which for you is meaningful. Uh, I would also expect to see a reasonably healthy person, a physically healthy person, 
that doesn't mean you're going to be running marathons necessarily or, or eating a vegan diet. Um, but, you know, it's hard to be happy if you're sick and tired all the time. So it does mean generally uh, you know, some form of exercise, a reasonably good diet, enough sleep and rest, etc. I would also expect to see someone with, with optimism, you know, a belief that they can make a better future, that the future can and will be better if, if they do the right sorts of things. And very importantly, I would expect to see someone with good quality relationships, you know, with, with loving family, uh, good friends, uh, good connections in the workplace, and a sense of community, feeling like they belong somewhere or other, whether it's you know, a local church group or their neighbourhood or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I suppose finally, there, there are probably lots of other things, but just one final point I make now is that um, I would also expect to see someone who's grateful, um, someone that focuses more on what they have and less on what they don't have. Mm. And if you put all of those things together, it would be hard not to be happy. <laughs> yes, and I guess flow, it flows from that that uh, you wouldn't have negative thoughts as to, I mean, some of the people in your book that have suffered injury, and they wouldn't be sort of sitting around uh, wondering why it happened to them, for instance. Well, not necessarily. I mean, we all have negative thoughts at times, and if you, you know, reading through those stories, you'll see some of those people did have those negative thoughts. And, you know, that's, that's a normal part of life, and this is actually very important. It's normal to get down in the dumps. It's normal to... To, to say, woe is me every now and then, it's actually normal to feel depressed and anxious and stressed at times. But what all of those people do and what I encourage people to do is to kind of to limit them and to, to bounce back from them as quickly as possible. Not to say, oh, I'm terrible for having these thoughts or I'm hopeless for having these thoughts, but to actually to kind of accept them and embrace them for what they are, a part of our humanity, but then to move forward in a positive way as quickly as possible. One of the stories in your book, is, is about someone who was feeling suicidal and he was fortunately asked the classic question, are you okay, mate, and went on from there. This is Alan Sparks, a former policeman. What do you recommend to, for people to say or do if they suspect that a friend of theirs mm-hmm. is actually suicidal? Yeah, re- really good question, a really important question because this is, um, you know, I suppose this is part of another reason I wrote the book and a, and a big part of why I do the work that I do that, uh, I guess primarily we want to help those people who are suffering, uh, the people who are experiencing the depression or anxiety or whatever it is. But there's also another uh, massive group of people, in fact, probably almost all of us at some point in life, who are the, the husbands, the wives, the friends, the brothers or sisters or colleagues who who aren't maybe not necessarily suffering themselves, but who, who see that person, that loved one or friend. And, and um, you know, you've hit on a, a really important point. What, what, what do you say to someone? How do you respond? And, that, that classic question, are you okay, obviously came out of it. It's been a very successful movement over the last couple of years, the Are You Okay Day, the one day a year, which is a fantastic movement. Um, and the reason, one of the reasons it's been so successful is it's so simple. Uh, it makes it so simple to ask someone that question, are you okay? Um, so that's a great place to start. But, but depending on, I, I suppose it does depend on your relationship with the person and um, how well you know them, because that will obviously affect sorts of questions you ask or the way you ask it but but certainly just checking in with someone in any way that's appropriate you know how are you going mate or I've noticed uh, uh, you know maybe referring to a specific behavior that you know so I've noticed you seem a bit uh, a bit quiet now or you you know you haven't been coming out with us as often or whatever it might be reflecting on a specific behavior that raised your concerns can be a good place to start and I suppose the other thing to point out is that you know you don't have to be a psychologist you don't have to be an expert uh, all you need to be is a caring friend your job as a friend is not necessarily to, to treat that person or to fix the person, but just to show them uh, that you do care and then maybe you know, nudge them in, di- in the direction of seeing their GP or, or, or going to a psychologist or, or a professional who can, who can then pick up from where you've left off. 
there is one sad story in the book where I felt the friend did all that could be expected, but then it happened. It moved quickly, and before you knew it, his friend had actually committed suicide, which was uh, which is an absolute tragedy, as it nearly always is. Yeah, that, look, look um, that's the sad reality is that uh, we can't help everyone, and, and it is terribly sad. And, and in that case, there um, those guys lost a dear mate. Uh, you know, that's incredibly unfortunate, and, and I suppose there will always be some of those cases. But I, I hope that with uh, with the book and with the work that I'm doing, and in fact with the work that a, a, a number of the organisations in the book, that, oh sorry, that came out of these tragedies, like Batir and like Livin, two organisations that, that came out of tragedies or difficult mm-hmm. circumstances, but have now gone on to do fantastic work to try and break the stigma. That I guess what we're all hoping, those of us that work in this area, is that there'll be far fewer of them, and that's what. Um, you know, I would love to have a goal of zero suicides in Australia. <laughs> I guess I try to do what I can to get there, but I'm not sure if we'll ever get to zero. But if we can reduce it as much as possible, then that would be a you know, be a good outcome. And uh, currently, the it's the number of boys that are suiciding, or number of males in particular, greatly exceeds the the females. Do you think there needs to be something tailored for men and boys in this area? Yeah, look, the, again, the sad reality is boys and young men tend to be tend to be more successful, for, for want of a better word, uh, when it comes to suicide. Um, there, there has been some improvement, which is great. So, again, over the last 10 or 15 years, there's been some fantastic work by some fantastic people. But, you know, we've still got a long way to go. And you know, we need to address everyone, uh, males, females, young people, old people. But certainly uh, there have been some specific programs targeting young men, and, and that's, um, that's great. And that's uh, because, you know, young men... You know, understand and learn in a slightly different way. The, the way you would approach them would be slightly different to young girls. and um, So that, that is happening. And I think that's one of the things we've seen in, I guess, in psychology and healthcare more generally over the last few, you know, or the last decade or so, is, is tailoring specific interventions for specific groups of people. So the more we can tailor and, and make our treatments or interventions more specific, then hopefully the more effective they'll be. We're speaking with Dr. Tim Sharp, a psychologist and the editor of a new book, Transformation, Turning Tragedy into Triumph. And despite all our talk of, uh, of some of the, the sadder parts of life, it is still a book that raises your spirits and uh, it, it is an actually an, an inspiration to read it and uh, certainly to have anything to do with Dr. Sharp. But Tim, uh, we've reached a stage of the program where I'm going to ask you if you'd like to pick a song for us and perhaps you could tell us which one and why you picked it. Yeah, this is a song by Sally Seltman, who, um, strangely enough, I was actually introduced to the song, or a friend uh, recommended the song when, when I was going through a difficult period, or, or not me directly, but when my wife was actually going through a difficult period. She had a uh, she had an early diagnosis of breast cancer and was going through radiation, or had surgery and radiation therapy, so it was obviously a, it was a very difficult stage well, for her and for us and for the family, and, and uh, I can't remember exactly when, but at some point through that, a friend recommended this song to me, and if you listen to the lyrics, which I think you'll you'll hear in a minute, it was amazing. It's just an amazingly inspirational song. It's actually very consistent with the book. It's about just getting up every morning, getting on with things. It's going to be tough some days, but I remember listening to this song almost every day when my wife was going into treatment, and and I would often cry when I was listening to it. But also in a, but it would also fill me with a with a sense of hope and optimism that I could sort of keep going. So yeah, I, I remember this song very kind of very fondly. Yeah. Remember when you told me in the morning You said I was tough Tougher than the average woman But I guess that it's not tough enough Cause when you left 
by Sally Selton, specially chosen by our guest today, Dr. Tim Sharp. Don't forget, uh, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. You can go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, and send us an email, and we'll be in touch. If you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our shows, go to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, or you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. So it just remains for me now to give a special thank you to our guest today, Dr. Tim Sharp. Tim, thank you very much for being on the program. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We'll be back next week with uh, another show, but for now, that's uh, goodbye from Dads on the Air. 